you're listening to from Fernand Duffy Legal News here on Waterberg Stereo. My name is Falke Kruger. The uh, email address that you can use to send us your comments and questions is info at vbd or von Feldenduffy.co.za. You're still listening to von Feldenduffy Legal News here on Waterberg Stereo. My name is Falke Kruger and I got uh, two colleagues here with me today. Um, who I asked uh, to join us. It's uh, Johannes Ulifi and uh, Ismeri McKelligan, both, both also from Van Felden Duffy. And we're talking about uh, trusts. Um, I actually did an article the other day. I regularly work with the registration of trusts and uh, trust issues, sorting out uh, trusts, uh, appointment of trustees, etc. So I did an article with the heading, the independent trustee is not a rubber stamp. And we got uh, quite a lot of uh, reaction to that article. It's something that we regularly deal with as well uh, for our clients, etc. So we thought it might be a good idea to, on the program, maybe also have a bit of a discussion on trust. So I asked Janis uh, and Ismeri to maybe uh, give uh, the matter some thought and uh, to come up with uh, some questions that uh, will um, hopefully find interesting and informative. So, uh, yeah, I don't know, Janis, uh, Ismeri, who uh, wants to start uh, first? Yeah, I, thank you, Volker. If I can uh, kick us off, if you don't mind, um, I will focus a bit more on the role of the independent trustee, as you mentioned now. Uh, but maybe just to get us started, if you can explain the concept of a trust for the listeners who might not know what a trust is and exactly how it works. Yes, um, trust is um, typically, for example, uh, used uh, to... Uh, set up when uh, the founder is still alive. That's the one option. That's the so-called inter vivos trust. In other words, the founder then uh, creates the trust and uh, in the trust deed, there are then beneficiaries uh, nominated. In other words, the persons that should enjoy the income and the capital uh, of the trust. And then there are also uh, trustees appointed who will then manage the trust assets and make them available uh, as well as the income to the beneficiaries as they deem fit. That's now in a typical discretionary uh, trust, uh, which we uh, regularly use. So that's a so-called inter vivos trust. So you always get those uh, three persons that are involved. It's the founder, it's the uh, trustees, and it's beneficiaries. Then you also get a testamentary trust. That's a trust that is uh, created in terms of the will of the founder. So that trust is uh, only set up after the founder has passed away. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, how I would uh, maybe briefly describe the two types of uh, family trusts that we uh, regularly work with. Um, Fulker, if I can maybe um, throw in a question here, why would one um, establish a trust instead of just donating your assets to your beneficiaries or instead of just having them inherit it in terms of your will? Yeah, that's a good uh, question. The idea of the um, Trust is typically to separate the control of the assets and the enjoyment thereof. So it would normally be a case where you are concerned about the ability of the beneficiaries to receive those assets themselves. So, for example, if you want to leave something to your minor children and they don't have the ability to properly look after the assets that uh, they are to inherit, then you would typically appoint trustees. Uh, someone that you trust, obviously, someone that you uh, know will properly take care of those assets, who would then um, be in control of the assets, 
basically to protect the miners uh, from themselves, uh, to make sure that those assets are safe and to make sure that responsible decisions are taken in respect of those uh, trust assets. Another uh, example would maybe be if uh, there is uh, uh, somebody who's mentally uh, uh, incapable of uh, dealing with, uh, with those assets, uh, even if it's a major person, then you would also typically set up a trust. Or for example, someone who is a, a drug addict and uh, who for that reason cannot uh, properly look after those assets himself, then uh, it's not uh, a way to punish that uh, beneficiary, it's rather a way to protect him to make sure that those assets are safe and can be used in a responsible manner for the benefit of the beneficiary that you have in mind. Volker, I just want to add there before I maybe move on to my next question, um, something that it seems like it, it comes as a surprise to the clients when we talk about that if a miner inherits any money in, in terms of our legislation, that money has to go to the, to the um, Guardian's Fund. So there's also a good reason why we always advise to Roger register trust and the trust then to be the beneficiary um, of that money. And so to ensure that the money doesn't go to the Guardian's Fund, it just stays in the trust and the relevant uh, heir is then the beneficiary of the trust. Um, I, I know you do it like that as well. Um, uh, that's correct. Uh, so yeah, that that's uh, one uh, further very good reason to do it like that, to prevent the money be being paid into the Guardian's Fund of uh, the master, in other words, the government. Uh, however, that uh, only applies until the uh, minor child is, is, of course, 18 years of age. Yeah? Then you are um, a, ma a major person, but most people feel that with uh, 18 years of age, you're not yet responsible enough, um, even though you would be legally entitled to, for example, receive cash inheritances, uh, you would probably uh, waste it on uh, cars and uh, overseas trips instead of, for example, uh, studying. So uh, yeah, in most cases, we actually cater for the trust for minor children to run until they are, for example, 25 years of age, when uh, most uh, people would uh, normally be uh, responsible enough to receive uh, that inheritance in their own name. Yeah, and the parents often, or they always agree, once you explain that, that the reason we increase the age to 25 or 21, uh, whatever it may be, they sort of understand why we don't just cap it at 18. Um, because the children aren't always financially savvy enough to deal with that sums of money, as you explained now. But uh, Ismari, um, it seems like you have another question as well for Volker. Um, yes, I don't, uh, Jonas, I think you can maybe ask your your next question. Um, my, my next question was actually already answered by you. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, well, I was just thinking... I think it's safe to say that a trust and a company, Volker and uh, Esmeri, it sort of has the same structure. Where a trust has the beneficiaries, a company will have the shareholders. Where a trust has trustees, the company on the other hand will have directors. And people are often confused about the, the difference between companies and trusts. So, Volker, if you can just quickly shed some light on that and briefly explain the difference between a company and a trust then. Uh, Companies raise it with uh, CIPC, whilst uh, um, the trust is registered with the master's office. So that's in terms of the registration process. Uh, in the case of uh, a trust, there would be a trust deed uh, also, which sets out the uh, terms of the trust. The trust is basically an agreement between the trustees and the founder of the trust, in terms of which the trustees agree to uh, receive the trust assets in trust and uh, once again, um, look after those assets and make it available to the beneficiaries. But I think the most important uh, um, 
difference between the two, uh, also for the sake of the listeners, is uh, that in the case of a company, the shares that you hold as shareholder vest in your estate. In other words, if uh, you pass away or if you, for example, are declared insolvent, then those uh, shares would be assets in your estate and can be attached by creditors or for purposes of estate duty would be part of your deceased estate. Whilst in the case of a trust, they uh, do not vest in the name of uh, the um, or the estate of the trustees uh, and also not in the estates of the beneficiaries uh, in the case of a uh, discretionary uh, trust as such. So uh, if a beneficiary, for example, passes away or a beneficiary is declared insolvent, then those assets are not part of his estate. So they cannot be attached by creditors. They cannot uh, be uh, included in uh, the deceased estate as a general rule. So uh, that uh, certainly has uh, important advantages from a risk management point of view. And I think we are all um, you know, familiar with, with, with the trust and it being a separate legal person, which obviously means, as you explained now, Volker, the assets of the trust doesn't form part of the personal assets of the trustee or of the beneficiaries. It belongs to the trust. Um, unfortunately, we know there are some individuals who abuse trusts and you know, treat the assets as if it forms part of their own personal estate. In the legal field, we would say that trust is then regarded as an alter ego or the court can declare it an alter ego of a specific trustee. Um, so, Volker, maybe just explain exactly or, you know, what it means if a trust is declared as an alter ego. Yeah, um, look, uh, um, strictly speaking from, I don't want to get too technical, but uh, a trust is, of course, not a legal entity as such. A company is a legal entity, a CC is a legal entity, but uh, for practical purposes, uh, the uh, effect of a trust is pretty much the same. As I said before, it's not part of the estate of uh, the beneficiaries yes. or the trustees, but strictly speaking, it's actually not a legal uh, personality uh, or entity, in, in case any uh, lawyers, lawyers are listening to the program. But anyway, uh, to answer your question about the alter ego uh, issue, yeah, um, there are a number of court cases uh, that have been um, dealt with in the last couple of years, specifically in respect of divorces, where the court came to the conclusion that a trust is basically a sham. In other words, uh, that uh, the only reason why the founder uh, registered the trust or set up the trust was basically uh, to the detriment of, uh, for example, a married spouse. In other words, uh, if a spouse uh, simply set up the trust to hide assets uh, from uh, his or her spouse to make sure that it's not part of a marriage and community of property or of the cruel system where they are made out of community of property. So, uh, yeah, there are cases where the courts have then concluded that it is basically a shadow or an alternative personality of uh, the founder or in some cases also the uh, a trustee. Uh, so um, in that cases um, uh, or those cases, uh, the court would then uh, pierce that view and then make sure that um, on the basis of substance over form, those assets are then indeed regarded as assets of the, for example, founder for purposes of a divorce. So, um, yeah, you must make sure that uh, you properly set up your uh, trust and uh, that you have an independent trustee, because if you don't uh, do so, uh, then it might be that uh, either, for example, the receiver or a creditor or a uh, divorce uh, uh, spouse can uh, argue that those assets are actually indeed part of your estate. Now, Volker, I think it's most of the times it's a family trust that are you know, abused by the specific trustees. 
uh, where the trustees and the beneficiaries are all related to one another, and it will normally be you know grandma, grandma, uh, grandma, grandpa, or whoever holds the pin numbers for the bank accounts, um, will be pulling the strings in as far as the the administration of the trust assets are concerned. And you touched on the independent trustee uh, that was introduced by the Supreme Court of Appeal in the matter of Land and Agricultural Development Bank of South Africa and others versus Parkers. And the idea behind the independent trustee was that you know, he or she should then not be influenced by this, let's call it a dominant trustee, who can so in easily influence the other family members. Um, before, can maybe just explain that as well. What exactly is the role then of the independent trustee and how does it work in, in, in practice? Yeah, that's extremely important. And uh, for any listeners uh, that uh, do have a family trust or that are uh, trustees uh, of a, a family trust or that might uh, consider uh, setting up a trust in future, please uh, listen carefully. There's a, a certain uh, misconception that we find uh, quite regularly. And that's actually also why we did that article uh, which I referred to uh, earlier, the uh, independent uh, trustee uh, should not just be a rubber stamp. In other words, uh, the independent trustee uh, uh, is a person that is not family uh, of the, uh, of the uh, trustees or the beneficiaries, for example, an attorney or an auditor, an auditor or a financial advisor, uh, etc. And um, that person then should also independently uh, take a decision in respect of the trust uh, affairs. So if, for example, a property is sold or property is bought or if financial statements need to be approved or if uh, any uh, income or capital is to be distributed amongst the beneficiaries, then that independent trustee should independently make up his mind as to whether he approves of the decision or not. So he can't just be a rubber stamp because if he's a rubber stamp, then uh, once again, the receiver or creditor or a uh, a divorced spouse can um, argue that uh, uh, that trust is actually not a separate uh, entity and should be part of, uh, for example, the farmer's estate. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's very important that the independent trustee is always involved with all the important decisions affecting the trust and that uh, the independent trustee independently uh, makes up his mind. Uh, Fulker, if I can maybe ask a question, and, and it comes back to the alter ego allegation if the if there is a trust with or without an independent trustee um what would the nature of the trustees duties be or in what way should they handle the affairs of this trust to avoid the allegation being made that the trust might be an alter ego of someone the paperwork for, for should for example be uh, in order in other words the independent trustee should make sure that there are properly signed uh, resolutions for all important uh, decisions taken. Um, the independent trustee should also make sure that he makes notes on his file uh, in respect of any motivation that is provided for a certain resolution that, uh, that uh, is proposed by the other trustees. So if the trustees who are also beneficiaries, in other words, if normally it would be part of the same, more often it would be part of the same family, decide, no, it makes sense to uh, take out a further bond uh, over a certain property to maybe finance uh, something for the for for a beneficiary of uh, of the trust, then it's important for the independent trustee to preferably in writing get the motivation for that decision so that he can uh, file that and uh, so that he can show to any 
person querying the validity of the trust in future that he indeed was part of the decision-making process and that he uh, was convinced to, for example, approve that decision to take out that loan. Okay, it might be an unfair question to ask you, but do you think this concept of appointing an independent trustee is successful? Uh, is the purpose reached? Um, I'm just wondering if, if there's still a lot of trustees out there, who, even though they are independent trustee, they still just act as a rubber stamp as long as they get, you know, get their account paid. Um, yeah, if, if, if I'm yeah, a as young, I see. yeah, carry on, carry on. I'm just wondering if you are a young auditor or a young attorney, there's not a lot of work out there for you. Clients don't know you yet, and you get this client who wants you to be the independent trustee um, and they're willing to pay your account. Surely you will just sign. I know there's a lot of risk involved with that, um, but yeah, they, uh, what, what, what would you think for them? Yeah, no, uh, I would certainly agree that it's important to understand your, your duties, your fiduciary duties as, as, as it's referred to, in other words, uh, the duties that you have because you're taking care of the assets uh, of someone else. So that's basically what you need to do as a trustee. And it's important that you are, for example, aware of your specific duties as an independent trustee. And there can obviously be far-reaching consequences if you fail to adhere to those uh, duties. That's why many people are actually not prepared anymore these days uh, to act as the independent uh, trustee because you have all those uh, potential uh, 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 you know, risks uh, um, uh, that are uh, related to your uh, performance of your duties as a trustee. So, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, very important to be uh, aware of that. Fulker, you mentioned the fiduciary duties of the trustees. For purposes of our listeners, what does, uh, what does it mean when you say fiduciary duty? Yeah, the level of care that our law requires uh, for someone like that who has a fiduciary duty is uh, basically based on that aspect. In other words, you are now taking care of the assets of someone else, which means that you should actually uh, be even more careful, careful uh, as opposed to where you are taking care of your own assets. So it's a very really onerous duty. Um, so you must certainly make sure that you properly apply your mind to the management of the trust assets and uh, uh, make sure that you properly study the trust deed, make sure that you know exactly what the trust deed stipulates, make sure that you know who the beneficiaries are, what their needs are, uh, etc. So uh, once again, it's, it's, it's certainly something that not anybody should accept. You should uh, be aware of your duties as a trustee before you sign that document. And in the event that you have a trustee um, let's say, for example, the beneficiaries or some of the other trustees or even the founder, um, if he or she is still alive, feels that one of these trustees aren't complying with their duties or aren't acting in the best interest of the trust or the beneficiaries, what recourse would you have to remove a trustee? Yeah, um, as beneficiaries, it's actually not that simple just to remove a trustee. If you are, for example, unhappy about the decision of the trustee, you maybe want to do that overseas trip or buy that expensive car, and you don't like the fact that the trustee says no because he believes that there isn't enough money in the trust and he rather wants to use the money for studies, etc., then it won't be that easy for you to just remove that trustee. I mean, that's actually why the trustee is uh, often there, is to take those... Uh, um, de decisions that uh, you know that beneficiaries might not always like. Um, so, so yeah, 
understand it's not that easy just to remove a trustee, but if there's a, a, a proof that the trustee uh, failed to, uh, you know, adhere to his obligations, as I explained uh, before, uh, for example, uh, doesn't respond to queries, uh, doesn't properly look after the assets, then there would be a basis for you as a beneficiary to remove uh, the trustee. If you want to, uh, for example, remove a co-trustee, or if there's, for example, uh, tension between the trustees to such an extent that they cannot, uh, you know, anymore properly look after the trust assets, properly perform uh, their duties as trustees, then the courts would more readily interfere and uh, maybe remove a trustee and uh, replace that trustee with someone else. Okay, and I think we're running out of time. Maybe we can get one or two uh, final questions from both uh, uh, you and uh, Ismari and, and Janus. Sorry, Janus, you can go first. <laughs> Thanks, Esme. Um, I appreciate that. Falker, maybe a last question. You spoke about the Supreme Court of Appeal judgment that made the appointment of an independent trustee ob obligatory. Um, my question is now, that judgment was handed down in 2004. A lot of trusts were obviously registered before then. Um, are they now forced to appoint an independent trustee before they can transact any further? Or, um, you know, how will this judgment affect them? We know that the master won't really uh, register new family trust without an independent trustee already accepting, um, you know, to be a trustee. But what should happen with those trusts that were already registered? Yeah, that's a good uh, question. And I think that's very important for listeners also to take note of. If you do have a family trust that is, for example, registered before the Parker decision, um, then uh, it's very important to make sure that you do appoint an independent trustee. So that can now be fixed. Um, you must just check your trust deed and uh, preferably get, get advice from your attorney to make sure that the correct process is followed in terms of the trustee to have an independent trustee appointed. But uh, yeah, you should certainly make sure that uh, you get uh, that independent uh, um, trustee onto the board of trustees. You could, could actually technically carry on with that trust, uh, probably with no immediate problems. But as I mentioned before, there's a there's a big risk that if you do it like that, in other words, if you carry on with the trust without an uh, independent trustee, that uh, someone will at some other time attack the validity of the trust um, because of the alter ego uh, principle uh, that could be applied as we explained before. So there's no doubt that our advice to our clients is um, if you have a, a trust, a family trust, uh, and there's no independent trustee, make sure that you as soon as possible have an independent trustee appointed. Thank you, Fulker. A last question from my side is just perhaps what practical advice we can give clients um, if they have to approach an independent trustee and appoint someone at this stage, who would you recommend they approach, attorneys, auditors, or, or can it be anybody they know? Um, from a practical point of view, what would, you, what would your advice be to listeners? That's uh, typically um, what, uh, you know, people would do. Uh, look at their attorney, look at their auditor or maybe a financial advisor and uh, and find out whether they would be prepared uh, once again to be the independent trustee and then maybe also make sure that that is something that they specialize in uh, because uh, yeah it's certainly especially in the last couple of years become a very specialized field of our law so uh, don't just appoint any um, financial advisor any auditor any attorney make sure that uh, that person is in indeed a specialist in the field so that you don't uh, run into any problems later. All right. Um, 
thank you, uh, Giannis uh, Ismari, and thank you for listening to us, uh, to our listeners. I hope there are a couple of interesting, once again, uh, 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 tips that uh, you might want to uh, uh, use for your specific uh, family trust or that you will keep in mind if you ever uh, decide to set up a trust yourself. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.